Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to my weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here in Keep Canada Weird, my pal Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which was recorded on April 27th of 2022, we're probably going to give you an uncomfortable feeling in your groin area. We're going to talk about a big potato in New Brunswick, a woodpecker in British Columbia, some gross chairs on the Toronto subway, and yeah, we're going to get into unlicensed circumcisions that were alleged to be conducted out of a cabin in Newfoundland. So let's get into it. Aaron Airport, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been very weird lately. Yeah, I have noticed. Yeah, yeah, you have noticed it. Um, before we get into what has been making it weird and how that weirdness is manifesting itself, let's talk about you. Um, our schedule has been turned on its head. Um, we're recording this in the middle of the day. Last week we recorded it late, and it all surrounds your play. How's the yeah. play going? Uh, well, the play's finished now. So after this week. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled, uh, you know, schedule. <laughs> Play is over. Um, I, um, I'm now. We'll be back to Tuesday night starting next week. So, yeah. and um, you're now shaved. You had a you had a weird mustache last week because of your play, and now you're yeah. you're normal looking. Yes, yeah, right. I had a nice big mustache for the character that I, because I would gray it up and gray my hair. Like I would just use this white face clown makeup kind of stuff that you would use and i would just wet a toothbrush and um you know mix a toothbrush into the paint and then run it through my hair and my mustache so that i was looking old much older because the character was like you know in his mid-60s or something okay. so wow well, yeah that's, so that's i had to you. find a yeah i had to find a way to, to age up a bit so okay well that's a good problem to have Mm-hmm, I guess. Uh, rather than trying to age down with like brown that would hair be much. <laughs> yeah, that would be much harder. <laughs> um, um, especially well, with my bald spot. Yeah, that'd be an issue. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's uh, congrats on another successful uh, stage show. What else has been going on with you? Um, not too much. Um, that's been occupying all of my free time um, outside of work. So mm-hmm. um, it's been a lot of just working and then going to rehearsals and then working and going to shows and then now it's over and uh so i've got some more free time right on i had a cool project on the go and i shared this through my uh instagram and youtube channel for anyone who follows that stuff but i i as you know i have a backyard fire pit that i adore i love burning stuff back there wood and other things um but I, every year I buy one of those, like at Canadian Tire or whatever, you get like an aluminum fire bowl. And I use it year round. So they last me like a year because during the mm. winter time, it gets all messed up. And by the following summer, it's rusted out. And I'll have to buy another one. And they're like 200 bucks a pop. And I just got sick of paying $200 a year for a fire oh, yeah. bowl that was just going to rot. So what I did this year was I took last year's rusty, ruined fire bowl 
and I used it kind of like as a mold and I just covered the thing in concrete. And then I put um, a layer of like wire mesh, like chicken wire. And then I covered that in concrete. So that way it's like the chicken wire could be within the concrete, giving it strength. Once it all dried, I just peeled off the old fireball from the rusted fireball from the bottom. And now I'm left with this like 80 pound concrete fireball that's about <laughs> probably about four inches thick. It looks like a birdbath from hell or something, I guess. And yeah. uh, and it's amazing. I've been burning fires in it. And it's I feel like a god of my backyard when I have a fire blazing on my concrete homemade bowl. Uh, so that's what I've been doing. Yeah. So that's really, it's not the hobby of fire pits per se. It's the feeling of God that... The that you have the hobby of. Yeah, exactly. That I made yeah. something that this fireball, rather than lasting a year, that fireball will be burning in my backyard probably years after I'm dead and gone. It's going to be like, you know, they're going to find that fireball years later. And mm -hmm, they someone, are. someone important was here doing some kind of religious ceremony with this thing. And on uh, the seventh day, let there be fire pits made of <laughs> concrete. Exactly. Well, Let's get on with the with our main course here. It's uh, it has been a weird week. I I managed to dig up a couple stories. I had a few stories sent through from listeners, and then there was one pulled from the dark pages of Newfoundland's past that we need to get into. <laughs> uh, you probably know. Yes, yeah, so this is about. Uh, yeah, this is That's disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what we have to go through is we have. An issue with a potato man in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. We have um, some idiots in Saskatchewan who got themselves into some trouble. Uh, we have a woodpecker causing big problems in BC. We have a little talk about some disgusting stickers. And then, of course, we have a man offering circumcisions to children out of his cabin in the woods in Newfoundland. Where do you think we should start this? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think we should start too heavy with the circumcision in the woods yet. No, no. Let's save that one for when the listener or viewer is good and ready. Mm -hmm. But um, they'll have a few yeah. drinks by the time we get to the circumcision. Well, stuff. we'll start off with the, um, you know, maybe the potato and the hockey stick, because I find they're kind of interrelated because they deal with big stuff. Yeah, good point. Uh, in both of these um, stories, involve kind of monuments sort of things that I've never heard of. We talked about in Sydney in Cape Breton on Cape Breton Island where we're from. We're known for having uh, the giant fiddle on our waterfront. Mm. Uh, it's it's not unique for a city or a town to have this kind of monument to whatever that just becomes, you know, an important part of the town. Um, New Brunswick there there is a spot that has the iconic big potato man. The town is called Maugerville, New Brunswick. I have never heard of this, but the big potato man is an iconic symbol. And worst part about it is the things at in danger of collapsing. Before we get into the news about the big potato man, have you ever heard of the Maugerville big potato man? No, this is the first time I've heard of it. it it's um, kind of terrifying looking. Yeah, no, it's... um. It's it's it reminds me of the Mr. Peanut. Uh, that, I thought the same thing because he has the it looks like a big peanut. He's with got a top the hat. yeah, he's got the top hat. And um, when I first saw it, I was like, that's 
if I just walked past that, I would say, oh, they have a giant Mr. Peanut here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It looks like an ugly Mr. Peanut because really, if you're talking about a big statue, whether it's a potato or a peanut, they're going to look pretty similar. So it just kind of looks like a deformed uh, peanut man. But It does. It looked like, you know, a, a hobbyist made a you know, a a likeness to to Mr. Peanut because they love peanuts. Ah, like my concrete fire bowl is to store-bought fire bowls. What this Mr. Potato Man is to like a store-bought Mr. Peanut Man statue. It looks like someone like me making my fire pit made a potato man they or a peanut man they ended up with the potato man uh mm-hmm. re- regardless let me tell you what's been going on with the Margerville potato man the iconic big potato man in Margerville is in danger of collapse he's been standing there for 53 years so he's getting worse for wear says Daniel Boudreaux owner of the firm where the big potato man stands as the concrete crumbles the firm's owner is hoping folks can chip in to save him His hip kind of blew out there on Friday. Plus all the stress cracks and everything else that's on him. He's going to need some TLC, said Boudreaux. Potato repair wasn't in the budget for the firm this year, so they've they've turned to GoFundMe to dig up the dough. The response has been phenomenal. We're pretty impressed, said Boudreaux. We're pretty much at our halfway mark. The Big Potato Man is a local legend in New Brunswick, and his larger-than-life image is known worldwide. I thought I'd take a picture to show back home to my daughter that lives out there, said Faye Goodine, visiting from Campbell River, B.C. Just because it's an icon and we've always seen it, it's one of those things that we like to remember. Area residents can't imagine the property without the landmark. I hope they can fix it. It's always been there and something I'd like to continue seeing there, said, Be- <laughs> said, Brenda-, <laughs> said Brenda Crook. Wayne Cavanaugh yeah. says his, he has fond memories of the towering tater. When I used to live in Lincoln, which was basically right across from the Big Potato, and we used to go down to the river and look across, you could see the Big Potato, said Kavanaugh. <laughs> the Big Potato has a long history, sitting along the old Trans-Canada Highway route. He was installed by Winston Brommel. He was built out of rebar and mesh and concrete. Basically, he was commissioned by Carl Harvey, said Boudreaux. The family of the firm's owners say they're happy to see plants to preserve the big potato. As we get older, my cousin Buzz took over ownership of the farm when my uncle Carl died. So as far as the the last name Harvey, I'm the last one there with my sons and my wife. It still holds value to the families, just memory and nostalgia, said Marcus Harvey, nephew of former Harvey farm owner. They're hoping the big potato man can carry it on for other for another generation. They'll all stop in here. Everybody's got pictures somewhere, somehow, of the big potato sitting somewhere in a stack of pictures. Anybody who's been through the area, they always stop in, Boudreaux said. He is hoping to get more donations rolling in to save the potato before it's too late and it continues to crumble. Mm. Uh, Wow. I'd like to be the journalist who collected those, those quotes. They were like the most mundane quotes. I've seen it there when I went through, and I'd like to continue seeing it there. And when I stood over there, I also saw it. From over there. (laughs) From over there. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, the people who live in the area like it, 
and want to eh. save it, be why sure, not? you know, why not? Um, you're, you're a ty- ty- tiny little town. You got a huge potato. It's like your claim to fame. You could save it. But it, they have a GoFundMe. I don't know how much money they need to raise to save this. It sounds like it's made of concrete. One of the good things about concrete is if it starts to deteriorate, you can just, you know, get off the broken part and just add a bit more concrete. Like it sounds to me what they need is a couple bags of concrete, which are about $8 a pop and maybe some paint. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I guess I would have to see it in, well, in person to maybe have a better understanding of the, uh, of, of, of what this giant potato needs, but why don't they just uh, tear it down and, and, and build a brand new one? Well, you know? yeah. Cause it's not like, it's not the most attractive statue. I don't think. Yeah. Why don't they say builder. in honor of our crumbling potato, we're going to build a, a new potato that won't crumble. You know, we'll make it in a way that some kind of maybe NASA could get involved and uh, um, maybe some kind of a space technology could build a giant potato that that can be seen from space. And no, well, and know what else they could do that'd be cool if they take down the old statue. There's like special saws and stuff that you can get to cut through concrete. They could take down the old statue and with the saw, cut it into strips that are kind of shaped like French fries and make like benches out of the old statue. If it is solid concrete, <laughs> that could yeah. be cool. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to preserve um, Or they the could legacy. let it crumble and just call it the biggest mashed potato, you know, this side of. Well, they could ma- they could let it crumble, put it in like a, a you know, a fenced in area or something and maybe with trucks or something just smash it all up to powder and it could be like a sandbox for kids and it would mm-hmm. be like play in the mashed potatoes. Yeah, or they could let it crumble down to the mesh that's underneath and call it the biggest waffle fry. Hmm. We got a lot of ideas. We got to contact Mogerville and help them out with this. Yeah, uh, get the mayor on the phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we figured it out. Well, regardless, we will follow the story as it develops. If there is ever a development, be it a replacement potato or repairs to the current aging potato. Um, I'd say the, the only development that will come out of this is you know, after our GoFundMe campaign ended, we have $40. And we fixed it. We bought three and bags of concrete. we fixed it. We bought some concrete and fixed it. <laughs> uh, like you said, I think it's best to stick with these two monument stories, monumental stories back to back. So let's head from Maugerville, New Brunswick's Big Potato and make our way over to Duncan, BC, the home to the world's largest hockey stick. I'm going to ask you the same question. Did you know that Duncan, BC is the home of the world's largest hockey stick? And a follow-up question, have you ever heard of Duncan, BC? Um, yeah, no to everything you just <laughs> I've never heard of this place. I've never heard of the giant <laughs> hockey stick. Um, it's all news to me as the giant potato was. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you about the world's largest hockey stick, and I'm going to tell you about the persistent woodpecker that has bore that has been boring a hole in it, and uh, mm. in, in the trouble that's that's come from that. Duncan, BC, is home to the world's largest hockey stick, and now also to a persistent and pesky woodpecker. I guess it goes to show what housing prices are like around here. He's looking for housing in a 40-year-old piece of sports equipment. (laughs) Woody seems determined to leave his mark on this 61,000-pound Douglas fir. Maintenance workers tried filling the first hole, 
but it didn't last long. I noticed they, the birds pulled all the plugging out. It was like steel wool. And last Thursday, they had a lift that came and put a cover on it, and the bird's smarter than the people here, so it was making a hole above that. Bird experts say the northern flicker is likely in search of food or a nesting spot. Lorraine Francisti has coached figure skating here longer than the stick has been around. It's a landmark to our town. It's, uh, it was at Expo 86. I saw it there when I went to the World's Fair, and to have it here, it's a, it's a place for our town. She hopes Woody will move on before more damage is done. Real-life scenes reminiscent of the classic cartoon. Woody, without a doubt, having the last laugh. They're claiming it's the world's largest hockey stick, and this woodpecker doesn't care. Yeah, well, and what about this? 61,000 pounds. That would be a pretty significant thing to have mounted to the front of a building. They're like, I'm thinking the woodpecker's probably trying to save someone's life and have this thing taken down. Yeah, you know, like, that's, to, a, that's to me, like, how, you know... That, that sounds really heavy like uh, to me for it, for a giant hockey stick and when you look at the the hockey stick it's kind of mounted like above the entrance ways of the building so as you're going in and out and even like other doors into individual parts of the building there's this massive stick above you and it's again it's made of wood and it's been reinforced with metal so it's it's going to degrade anyway like a mm -hmm. like wood unless you're maintaining it and applying sealant and stain and stuff like it's it's going to just break down over time um like we we heard yeah this, well this... it was the mid 80s when they when they built it yeah so imagine so... building a, a, a like a two-story 61,000 pound deck on your house and that deck's been sitting there for like you know 35 years you're not going to be very confident walking underneath that thing i don't know how good i'd feel about going in this building under this massive hockey stick um, well if i had figure skating lessons i'd take the risk because i'm like well what are the chances it's going to fall when i walk through yeah kind of like visiting like the pyramids in egypt like it would be scary to be trapped under like a billion pounds of rock if it ever did fall on you but it's it's sat there for so long that the chance like would you be on so unlucky that the thing would collapse while you're under there yeah and how does the figure skater going into their lesson feel when it's like why didn't you put a giant figure skate up there yeah, sixty-one thousand pound blade mm -hmm. with a real blade yeah that'll that's just true. completely you know, don't really, worry. You really man. do some damage on somebody walking by. Yeah, it's like, don't worry. You won't feel a thing if this falls on you. No, that's why we went with the giant figure skate. So that if it did fall, you'd be killed instantly. <laughs> yeah, the hockey stick would maim you and you may have to lay the there. Hockey stick, yeah, yeah. It'll be a slow death with the hockey stick. But the figure skate, that's instantaneous. You're done. All right. Well, let's get out of Duncan, BC. I wish them the best with this hockey stick. Um, but then again, if you're, you know, nature is going to be nature. Uh, well, yeah. And you can't, you know, again, a, a woodpecker does not speak English. You can't explain to them that this is, this is not a great place for you to, uh, you know, try to make your home. So I, I, I support the woodpecker, you know, it's wood, a woodpecker pecks wood. Um, you know, you can't blame the woodpecker. No, it's like time and memorial. It's going to happen. It's, it's a my theory of about, yeah, great white sharks. You know, if you get bitten by a great white shark, hey, you're swimming in the water, you know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to um, 
we got a few here to go through. Let's um, let's not get dark yet. Uh, this story, I don't want to go too deep into it, but I do really enjoy this. As someone who does uh, guitar refinishing on time, uh, on occasion, I get the complications that come with like removing paint and removing stickers from things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. th there's an issue going on in, in Toronto on the TTC, which is the Toronto Transit Commission, I guess, is what that stands for. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's the subways. You know, it's the transit system in Toronto, you know, subways. And, mm -hmm. So, you know. yeah, so we're, what we're talking about is inside the subway train. When when COVID was, was going on, uh, or when social distancing was a more pressing concern than it is at this stage of the pandemic, what they did uh, to prevent people from getting too crowded on the Toronto subways uh, is they would they put these big stickers on seats every so often to make it so you in the seat the sticker would say like you know due to social distancing requirements you know do not use the seat that way it will create places between people mm -hmm. but. As the trains were getting busy, people would just sit in those seats anyway because it's just some stupid sticker, and you would, you know, so everyone was still just crammed in there. Just you'd be sti stick sitting on a stick on a seat that had a <laughs> sticker. Yeah. Now, now that they are no longer required, the whole thing's kind of blowing up in their face. The stickers have been there for like a year or so, and they're pretty large stickers that would take up almost the entire backrest, which is a fabric material on these on the subway trains. What has happened is they went through the trains and they removed all of the stickers that, again, occupy the majority of the backrest that is made out of fabric on the train. Anyone who has ever had a sticker on something and has removed it will probably remember having to deal with like the sticky goop that's kind mm -hmm. of left behind. Yeah, whatever the adhesive is that uh, is on the back of the sticker. Yeah, over time, you try to peel that off. First off, it's a bit of a chore. You usually got to get some soap and water involved mm -hmm. and some yeah. kind of a scraper or something. But um, yeah, then it always leaves this film behind. Yeah, the sticky, ugly mess. So a headline of this article by Blog TO will give you an indication of the plague that's uh, affecting TTC riders. The headline is, Disgusting sticker goop left on TTC seats could work better than the actual stickers. Mm -hmm. So so what has happened in, actually this article is quite funny because it gives uh, a whole lot of uh, Twitter posts of people reacting to this. But when you go on the, on the TTC subway trains now, the seats that used to have the stickers have this disgusting, stained, very dirty looking backrest that nobody will sit in them. So when they would have sat in them when they had the stickers, people are not choosing to sit in them now. Uh, to give you, I'm, I'm just I kind of read, um, I'll read a couple of the Twitter posts here. Someone tweets, the TTC's accidental social distancing measure, sticker goop. And it's just a picture again of disgusting seats. Uh, another Twitter user whose name is maybe Jordan. It's not me though. They say, no, I hate sure that. It's not you. It isn't me. They say, I hate that residue with a passion. The sound when you stand up after resting on one of them sends shivers down my spine. <laughs> another one was on a train yesterday with the freshly shampooed seats. The summer students will. Oh no, that one's that's someone saying that they're cleaning them. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people are recommending the TTC by lots of goo gone. Uh, some people are suggesting that the residue will help prevent the bed bug infestations that occur on the TTC. I guess the bed bugs could be stuck to it. Ugh, so, yeah. 
And uh, some other users are questioning why they would even have fabric seats on such a heavily used um, subway line. A plastic seat would be easier to clean and more sanitary, and you could scratch the goop off. I agree with that as well. Yeah, that 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 actually you know stuck with stuck with me because uh, yeah, why would you have fabric? It's a dumb well, idea. Yeah. Um, why would they initially say we're going to go with fabric seats for for the subway? I I even in my dining room with my kids, I swapped my dining room table chairs from fabric versions to full plastic versions that I got at Ikea. And that was the reasons why is my kids would drop spaghetti sauce or whatever disgusting. They would spill oatmeal on the seat and they wouldn't tell me. And by the mm -hmm. time I found it, it was like plaster. Um, yeah. But we have now like this hard, smooth plastic chairs. And when my kids make a mess on them, I just I actually spray them with Windex and wipe it off. And they still look brilliant. Windex, really? Yeah, I, I, I tried a few different cleaners and I found Windex was the one that really made it look great. So, mm. See, I only use Windex on glass. Uh, I've been using it on smooth surfaces like my plastic chairs, um, but I definitely use it on glass too. But Windex, uh, it can surprise you sometimes. But I, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that it can affect some finishes. So yeah, like you, yeah. you shouldn't use it on like countertops. I have granite countertops, and I think I was told never use Windex on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean... Um... I can't imagine it's because it, when a subway gets packed, you know, and you have a long commute, you're just wondering at what point in time am I going to disregard a completely disgusting chair that's empty next to me and just sit down anyway. Yeah, but then you get it on your back and stuff. And that one tweet that I read where the guy described getting off the chair and hearing like his, his shirt like kind of unpeel from being stuck to well, it that could be a really good lint remover though like if you're on your way to a meeting and you're like oh i've got lint or cat hair on my suit i'm gonna go sit in one of the sticky chairs yeah so they could advertise it as a service like you know late for a meeting didn't have time to get the lint off your uniform just sit in one of our sticky chairs here at the toronto subway <laughs> yeah Maybe it's a, that that could be an unintended uh, positive outcome of this. Um, I, I think it's really I think it's going to get interesting in the summer when it starts to heat up because the adhesive is going to get more sticky and goopy and liquidy. Uh, I think they're going to if they can't figure out a way to get it cleaned by then, which it may very well turn into replacing the seats, because what you would need to use to get the goop and the adhesive out of the aging material that these seats are made out of is likely going to destroy that material anyway. So I think yeah, this... <laughs> and it's time to get rid of that material because anytime I've been on the you know the the subway in Toronto, they're just nasty looking chairs. So. Yeah, they are. They were nasty before a sticker was yeah. on the here. So uh, I think this is this is a final nail in the coffin for them to say, all right, let's start replacing these chairs. Um. Let's move on to a story that I'm not really looking forward to. This is uh, the story of a man who claimed on Facebook he ran a circumcision service from his cabin in the woods in Newfoundland. Uh, this isn't every story we've read up until now has been current, like the last week or so. This is a, a story that a listener had sent saying like, 
you should do a story, uh, an episode on this. Like it's nuts. This all went down five years ago in uh, 2016 to 2017. I don't know how I had never heard of the guy advertising circumcision services on Facebook. Did you ever hear this? No, I've never heard of this. Okay. Um, I was never in the market for a uh, off-grid circumcision. So. <laughs> uh, this has led to um, there's a, there's quite a few articles written about this. Obviously, it was quite a big news story at the time. But I think the best coverage that I found of it has been a, a series or two articles that CBC did. One kind of outlining the allegations and the charges against the man involved. The second uh, covering his the outcome of the legal battle. So to tell the story, I'm going to read a bit from a, a March 15th, 2017 CBC article, again with the headline, Man claimed on Facebook he ran a circumcision service from his cabin in the woods. And the kind of the subtitle is, Mother says Josh Chubbs offered to perform operations on her young son. This is like a horror movie. So let's no, get into no, it. No, it's, it's weird. Any stories about like, that part of somebody getting hurt like it, it i have a hard time not having this like reaction that causes me to flex all my muscles at once and just go like Ugh! so let's see if i can read through this <laughs> yes, yes. It's so do you know the feeling like oh well, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so here we go so a newfoundland and labrador man has been charged with practicing without a medical license after a woman reported him to police saying he asked her inappropriate questions about her son's penis and suggested he could perform circumcisions from his rural home. Carboneer resident Josh Chubbs, 23, was charged on February 20th under the Medical Act after a mother, whom CBC has agreed not to identify, called police to report that he had written to her last December after she made a routine post on Facebook that mentioned her children. Okay, I got to stop here. So I think she wrote something about <laughs> her kids. Yeah, like she, yeah, gets, yeah. she wrote something on Facebook about her kids and this person messaged her offering to circumcise them. That the, this Yeah, is I kind of wanted a bit more detail on um, the exactly message? what she said in the in the original post. Mm, that would that leave. he connected to, oh, you might be interested in my uh, cabin in the woods circumcisions okay well let's let's read on and see if it gets into it so the mother who lives in conception bay north area said chubbs wrote her to inquire whether her son who was under 10 was having any issues with his genitals such as infections that might require a medical procedure like a circumcision or a flungelectomy which involves the removal of tissue around the head of the penis to say the conversation took a bit of a strange turn is an understatement she told CBC News. Circumcision is often performed within a few days after birth before discharge from a hospital or at specialized outpatient clinics. However, before it's considered however, because it's considered cosmetic, the surgery cost of three hundred to five hundred dollars isn't covered by provincial insurance plans. The mother described the mother described Chugs as an acquaintance and said she knew he worked at Noel's funeral home in Carbonier in twenty fifteen. She said he ex he explained to her that he also had training in pediatric urology and could do surgical operations like circumcisions. According to Facebook messages seen by CBC News, Chubbs asked if her son had been circumcised, how he cleaned his penis, and several other questions that she felt were inappropriate. He said, I don't want you to think I'm a creep. I'm actually trained. 
After pressing Chubbs further, she said he went on to explain he never finished his urology training because he fell into the funeral business. He told her he had training in pediatric urology and had dealt with lots of boys who had issues. I did finish my course, got all my papers. It's nothing illegal. I'm trained, he told her, and added, I just don't work in the hospital, which is I don't broadcast it, but it's all legal. In the messages, he claimed he performed circumcisions for his adult friends on the side and that he had all his papers. He added he could do the procedure right in his home, which she described as a little more than a cabin in the woods near the town of Freshwater. At this point, I had Googled the length of time it takes to become a pediatric urologist, and he hasn't been out of high school that long, she said. So I knew that this was something that needed to be brought to the higher power's attention. The woman noted the messages she received from Chubbs were difficult to read because of his numerous spelling errors. According to the woman, Chubbs claimed to have completed more than 50 procedures already and even referred to her, her to a mutual adult friend who had a flungmalectomy operation successfully done by him. That was removing pieces of mm, uh, I don't yeah, even want to know. tissue or whatever. Yuck. The friend confirmed it and went on to say Chubbs seemed professional and that there were no complications from his work. The mom said hearing that Chubbs had operated on an adult was disturbing enough, but for him to approach her about doing unlicensed surgery on her child was what finally drove her to contact police. I was absolutely horrified, she said. It red flagged a lot of stuff to me because for God forbid there would actually be somebody too embarrassed to take their child to a doctor who would take them to a friend who is clearly not certified to do these things. Too nervous to call the RCMP's Harbor Grace Detachment to explain what Chubbs had said, she asked a friend to do it. She said at first police didn't take her friend seriously and hung up on them. But then when her friend called back a second time, they finally listened and charges were eventually laid. Not only was Chubbs allegedly offering to perform medical procedures without proper credentials, but he had also not even finished his apprenticeship to become a mortician. The RCMP are not commenting on their investigation. The mother said she went to media to make sure others don't consider getting their child treated by someone without proper medical credentials. It's important for people to know that without the proper credentials, things could go wrong. It's scary to think that this could be going on in a cabin in the woods. And then it goes on to say that he's uh, scheduled to appear in court um, a month or two later. So we'll get to the court stuff. But first of all, what the hell is going on mm. with this guy in Carbonier, Newfoundland? This is terrifying. Yeah, like, and especially like when we get into what came out in the in the in the court uh, proceedings, mm -hmm. it's it kind of opens up even more questions because, like, yeah, like I I can't I can't understand any aspect of this at all. His yeah, his motivation is it like uh, as I read it, I can't help but think it's. Like, it seems like kind of kinky and weird, like just to be kind of concerned. Yeah, it like, seems like, I mean, the messages are there. They're real, you know, like he, whether or not, you know, this guy has ever performed any of these procedures is is a different story. But, you know, yeah, it, it seems very disturbing that that particular procedure is something that he would want to try and convince people to have done where he lives. Yeah. Like, would he have gone through it? Like, whether or not he's done it before, would he have gone through it? If she's like, I'm going to drive out to the woods with my young child. And yeah, like, you can just, you got all your papers and stuff. And all, you know, like she said, all his messages, it was hard to read because they were so 
the spelling was yeah, so poor. Yeah, the spelling was, was so really bad. Oh, it's like, come on, this is nuts. Well, yeah. So what does he think is going to come of this? You know, like when he's approaching someone to try to convince them to have their child circumcised in his cabin in the woods. Like, does he think somebody's going to agree to that? Well, he's asking. Um, well, I guess that's going to be a question for the courts. Let's get to the decision. Late last year, there were whispers around Carboneer that Joshua Chubbs, a local mortician, was offering circumcisions out of his home in the woods. The mother of a young boy approached him online, trying to put an end to his bogus doctoring. She told NTV News in April that Chubbs claimed to have operated on a large number of people, but the court today found Chubbs's claims to be unfounded. Joshua Chubbs was initially charged with practicing medicine when unqualified and advertising medical services without a license. He pleaded guilty to the advertising charge last week when the charge of practicing was dropped. He's satisfied with the outcome. I think it was the right choice. So. In court today, the judge acknowledged the attention the case has received, saying he couldn't base a sentence on speculation. The facts, he said, showed that while Chubbs made the offer to operate on the seven-year-old boy, he didn't act on it. Judge Bruce Short says it was disconcerting that Chubbs pretended to be a physician with medical skills, but he said the bottom line was no one was physically affected. Well, I mean, it was it was an odd charge to begin with, but I think more so there was, as the judge, um, you heard him comment, there was an awful lot of rumors and speculation that were uh, unfounded, and I think you know that that's fueled a lot of a lot of interest. Noting the 23-year-old cooperation with the investigation, his age and future prospects, the judge sentenced the man to one-year probation and 40 hours of community service. Justice Short suggested the 23-year-old defendant seek some counseling. After signing some documents, Chubbs left the court to begin the difficult task of settling back into his daily life. Yeah, so he, uh, for what to me is like kind of like, you know, before he was a serial killer, this is what he did. Like, that's kind of, I feel like that's the story. Uh, he got 40 yeah, hours of community service and 12 months probation. So, yeah, the behavior is alarming. And it's, you know, like, you know, now they're saying that no, no, nobody has ever actually got, he hasn't performed any of these actual surgeries. So that's good. But like, you know, what if somebody said, I can't see anybody agreeing to have him give them a circumcision. It's just, it's, it's completely absurd to think that there's anybody out there well, who needs a circumcision will be like, yeah, oh, you'll off. So I can save 500 bucks. I'm going to get it done by you in your cabin. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. So, but, the, but like the, a logical person wouldn't fall for it, but there are vulnerable people or people who don't know what's going like he just would make bad decisions or maybe it's someone who's new to the country and they don't realize, you know, how to arrange it here because in some cultures circumcisions are like, like, so common that they may come to Canada where it's, it's not as common and try to find a way to have that done for their children and end up in this guy's yeah. grasp. So you kind of got to think about that. I'm just thinking like, regardless of whether or not he did it, it's like, I, I feel like I would bet anything that this guy would have went through with it if she took him up on it. Oh, I'm sure he would have. He obviously had some kind of a motivation to, 
to, he was trying, you know, so many times to, to convince somebody to do this, that he clearly had a motivation to want to at least attempt it. And, and then, and then I wonder, is it, was it sexual? Like, what was his thing? Why would you want to do this? It would have to be, I would say, I can't see somebody being a hobbyist, uh, circumcisioner for lack of a better term. Circumciser. Circumciser. <laughs> well, what about yeah. uh, unre- the circumciser? Unre- what we also didn't touch on is like, of course, he's like a mortician or works in a funeral home. Like, because you can't be creepier than trying to get people on Facebook to let you circumcise their kids if your day job isn't. Yeah, you know, don't working. worry. I deal with dead people all the time. Yeah, you I should can... let me cut your penis. <laughs> oh my God. This, this guy. <laughs> it's just so. I, I can't, but it has to be sexual for him. There has to be some kind of a, um, you know, a, an extreme sexual kind of perversion that he has. That, that's a, that's the only thing that would make sense to me. Because if the circumcisions only cost between three and five hundred dollars from a pro, if he wanted to make a business, he'd have to be charging like you know, uh, less than that to make people take the risk of doing it at his cabin. So he'd have to way undercut them and it would be like a, some work and time. Like, so even if he was getting like $150 each one or something and had like a lineup of people getting it done, it's still not enough mm. money. So I, I can't imagine he's doing it for financial reasons. It did say that he had some connection to the family, to this person he was offering this service to, uh, doing someone a favor or something would be, um, I don't know. That's no, a weird it still favor. doesn't make. And, and I mean, obviously, like, you know, she wasn't the only one that he reached out to about this. Yeah, allegedly. And... It seems like there was some debate about whether or not that was the case. But yeah, um, I don't like the story. I don't like the fact that he got like a very minor slap on the wrist. If you were shoplifting, you probably it was a very. Yeah, you would get probably more, you know, more um... trouble than that. But I want to see a picture of the cabin. Yeah, like I want to see like what you know. She, she describes it as little more than a cabin in the woods, um, because when you say cabin in the woods, instantly a rundown, beat up old shack in the woods is what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Creepy horror movie style thing. Like, is this that, or is this like um, you know a fairly decent home in the woods that you would technically call a cabin? That is a good question. Um, I don't know. And I hope that his cabin is far away from me and my children. Uh, I, I think that's... Well, a, it's at least in Newfoundland. We know that. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> okay. away. It's in a whole different area code. I'm safe. Um, let's get away from this story. I hope um, we never follow up with anyone ever doing this sort of thing again. And I guess as a public service announcement if anyone has children and they want to have them circumcised just don't even involve like facebook or friends or favors do it through like your family doctor and stay uh, off of facebook marketplace when you're looking for circumcisions yeah exactly or generally any medical procedure the only thing that's good on facebook marketplace is uh actually nothing no good comes of it (laughs) nothing yeah okay Hello, listeners. Sorry to pull you out of the episode like this, but I want to give you a bit of a tip on how you can support the creation of this show and look great doing it. 
If you visit the store at nighttimepodcast.com, you're going to see a dizzying array of nighttime podcast-themed shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and apparel. It comes in a variety of sizes and fits and colors, and I'm often adding new designs. So if you're looking for something new to wear and you want to support the creation of Nighttime, go visit the store at nighttimepodcast.com. Now let's get back to the episode. We're going to wrap up the night, Aaron, with a crime in Canada. I think that is the yeah, best that yeah. is the best way to describe this. Uh, this is some idiots in Saskatchewan um, who would probably be dumb enough to wind up getting their kids circumcised by people they met on the internet that work at funeral homes. That's how dumb mm. some of this is. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, what we're going to look towards is a CTV news article that outlines what had happened last week in Saskatchewan. The headline of the article is impaired driver with someone riding in the trunk came to pick up Buddy from traffic stop, Saskatchewan police say. So here we go. An unusual series of events led to an impaired driving charge, according to Corman Park Police Service. It all became it all began with a roadside stop a Wednesday night just outside of, of just outside of Saskatoon along Highway 11. Officers were in the process of charging a person with driving while disqualified and impounding their vehicle, according to a Facebook post from the police service. When the person's friend arrived to give that driver a lift, she appeared to be under the influence of alcohol, police said. The driver failed a roadside breath test and was subsequently arrested for impaired driving, police say. According to police, a search of the vehicle turned up alcohol and, after hearing knocking, a person inside the trunk. A woman was riding there by choice and was unharmed, according to police. So that is all we know about this story. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is it. (laughs) My understanding, so here's how it plays out, is somebody driving while disqualified, which would imply either, I guess they don't have a license or they have a suspended license. Yeah, or maybe the, uh, well, even, you know, if they're in, like, I I was thinking too, like driving while disqualified, I wasn't quite sure what they meant by that, if it was like, the inspection was up on the car or there was, you know, some kind of a safety thing about the car. No, no, this would be more worse than that. Driving while disqualified would, would simply mean like you're you're driving when you're not licensed to do so. So it would be suspended license, most likely. Although right. I think in some areas it could be in a, just not having a license. So if they were disqualified from driving. They were driving. They were pulled over. So it could have been a traffic stop or whatnot where they realize, you know, the license and registration. They look at the license, mm-hmm. and, you know, on the computer. It's suspended for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to impound this vehicle. So they're going to take the vehicle. This is all happening on the side of the road. This person who's in the middle of this calls their buddy, their friend, mm-hmm. and says, like, I'm pulled over. I am got charged for driving while disqualified. They're taking my car. I need a ride home from here. Can you get me? And they say, well, who knows what they say, but they agree to come despite the fact that they're drunk. And they, while driving there, I don't know what this decision would be about, but one of the people decide, I'm going to go, but I don't want to be in the car. I want to get in the trunk. Because I guess they know they're going to face cops. So maybe she's like, I'm going to act sober and, you know, you hide in the trunk. We'll yeah, pick them up I can pull it of off there. and you hide in the trunk because you are on bath salts. 
Uh, needless to say, this cop um, had a memorable night that will certainly go down in history for them as one of the more bizarre nights of their career when they arrest someone for drunk driving at a traffic stop and then find somebody knocking from inside their vehicle. I wonder if the person in the trunk heard the arrest and heard them be like, you know, walk this straight line. We're charging mm. you with driving intoxicated. And they're just like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to complicate anything. Uh, I know you got a lot on your plate right now, but I'm in here. <laughs> oh man, these people, um, they should, have, I don't know what to say other than like, there are you you said earlier like who would ever take up someone for circumcisions who are you know doing it at their garage well who would put someone in the trunk while they're drunk and go pick up their friend at a traffic stop There's well i mean you know idiots. i could i could see you know okay you're at a party everybody's hammered you get a message from your friend whose license is suspended that they've been pulled over and they need a ride. Like, yeah, we'll go get them. Like, oh, I'm pretty wasted. Will you go in the trunk? I've only had a few. You know. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, I'll go in the trunk. Yeah, you know. I like, guess, like, drunk people will do stupid stuff. But, like, I think – I don't drink. But my first instinct would be, like, does anyone have $10 so they can get a cab? Yeah, yeah. But, again, you're sober right now. You know. That's true. Like yeah, you're, you're coming from a very clear perspective. I'm going to have to think um, about this next time I've had like four coffee or too much Diet Pepsi and I'm intoxicated. Yeah, that'll be the equivalent. Yeah, for you is you, you know, um, your metal straw clicked your teeth a little few too many times. After yeah, the like aluminum that. is going through my, the aluminum starting to affect me. Yeah, yeah, you have aluminum poisoning. Um, regardless, though, this is a stupid decision they made. Uh, this person who is driving while disqualified is going to have big problems for that. The person who is drunk driving is going to have huge problems for that. The person who was in the trunk, I don't think they did anything wrong. <laughs> They're probably just going to be like... Well, no, they were just like, well, if she can't drive her car back, you should know that I'm in here. Yeah. How did they get home? The article needs to like, did the cops be like, oh, I guess we'll don't call anybody else. I'm going to get you home. I'm assuming the cops probably put them in the back of the cruiser and took them home oh, man. themselves. And how old are these people? Alcohol is enjoyed by many ages. So yeah. we're looking at a pretty wide, um, you know, set of uh ages here well the court uh, the court documents would be interesting i would like to it's i'm sh who knows what they'll plead or whatever uh, i can't imagine this case is going to get dragged through court but it would be interesting to hear uh, some of the facts and maybe learn a little bit about these people's backgrounds uh mm -hmm. it, it could have just been a stupid night where they made some big mistakes but i would like to think that this is just another step along the long life of bad choices for these people well, yeah, it's more than likely um, they, are, I don't know, are going to stay at the same level mm -hmm. for the rest of their don't, lives. Don't worry about offending so. them. I'm sure they don't listen. Hey, but, you know, but they, if they do, please email me. Yeah, and just kind of chart out the evening for us so we have a better understanding of what really happens. Yeah. I'm holding out. Time. I'm holding out some some hope for for these people that it was just you know maybe they're doctors and lawyers and and accountants and they and they just were you know at a at a a staff party that just went awry 
you know, like... Yeah, that's pretty likely. These sound like doctors and lawyers that would do this. Yeah, these are professionals from the community. Like, um, I should you know, let you know that I am a, a professional uh, and I'm in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. That's what happened. I'm going to go with so, that. So if we can find out who they are, I think, you know, this was just one bad night in a in a in a lifetime of of reputable service to the community and uh you know if anything we owe them a thank you and an apology because you called them idiots right off the start yeah that's a good point sorry guys uh or, or sorry sir oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well let's wrap this up um we don't have any voice memos tonight just because uh, our schedule has been a little wacky. But that said, if you're listening and you have a story of something bizarre that happened in your town, either last week or within the last however many years, yeah, let a us know. story we haven't covered yet that uh, you think would be worth some time on the show. Get at us. Um, Get at us. Or if you have, you know, something you want to say, leave a voicemail. Yeah, and I don't want to call her out or anything, but your beef with Ellen has gone silent. I haven't heard a thing. I consider that a victory. Let's end it with that. Um, Aaron, until next time, help oh, the big potato. Turn the lights on, turn the lights off. <laughs> I, I had nothing for that. <laughs> turn the lights on, turn the lights <laughs> I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I for our Keep Canada Weird discussion. But before we part, I'm going to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. And a thanks to the Internet's favorite cult leader, Unicol, for supplying the intro and outro narration. But the most important thanks goes to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. And not only does it make the show possible, the premium feed will give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as amending exclusive content and bonus episodes regularly. So for both the price of a cup of coffee, help keep Canada weird at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Paige, Dennis, and Kirsten, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can help keep Canada weird by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to contribute a voice memo for Aaron and I to listen to and respond to on air, you can do the, all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And we hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let us know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Beautiful, serene, majestic. 
the true North. Strong and weird.